High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. I'm Brian Rodriguez, your slumber party host, and welcome to your summer vacation. First things first, slumbers, I'd like to apologize for being a little late on the delivery of this episode. It was a really long weekend. Some sad news in the Rodriguez family, the slumber family here. Lost one of my beloved pet rabbits this weekend. It was sad. Had to put her down. She lived a long life at 13 years old, which is like over 100 in rabbit years, but still, never a good feeling when you lose a pet, so R.I.P. Davina. Second, of course, was 4th of July weekend. Hope, if you were in the United States or wherever, you celebrated safely and you had a fun and good time. So happy belated 4th of July. Of course, today's the 5th of July, 4th of July observed, so had that off from work. Try to enjoy the weekend as much as possible. And of course, if you've paid attention to our social media, my good friend, the foodie films man himself, and I have rented a house on San Emilio Island, USA. We invited you. Hope you took the ferry or you can take the bridge from the bay, whatever's easier for you. But welcome to San Emilio Island. And again, if you follow our social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you'll see our video that the foodie films man himself made with me, where we teach you how to make a daiquiri. I give into a little daiquiri history. Kyle makes the drink, and they were delicious, those daiquiris. We're going to post some more drink videos, drink responsibly, of course, but we're having as good of a time as we can here on San Emilio Island. He's actually passed out. It was a long weekend of hot tubbing for him, so just me flying solo here on this intro. We have a really, really great episode for you today because, wow, talk about being busy this weekend. Watched Fear Street, the new Netflix film. Talked about it right away with Kate Hudson. So you're going to love this. Kate Hudson, our guest today, is actually a true Fear Street expert. You know her from Twilight Forever and the Hudson Five and so many other great things on this podcast. But, oh my God. Her knowledge of the Fear Street series, it's so good. So happy to have her on. I'm so thankful that she came on with me, you know, so quickly after the film came out. Remember, guys, Fear Street 1, 2, and 3 come out in successive weekends. So next Friday is Fear Street 2. We'll have the episode on Monday, the Monday following it. 
and so on and so on. You get it. We don't have homework over the summer, but I should remind you about some other things before we get into the episode. First, hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher, and check out all the other great podcasts that I share a network with here on the Cage Club Podcast Network at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. So I'm still going to be twice a week this summer, so definitely look at that. But you know, summer's a little tough, and life moves a little bit slower here on San Emilio Island, USA. The beaches are great. The drinks are great. The good times keep rolling. And we're just enjoying that summer. It's beach life, man. And take what you can get from the podcast, but also have a great time safely, of course. So should we get into it? Should we continue to have our slumber party? I hope you packed your favorite jammies. I hope you told your mother you're staying at Brian and Kyle's here on San Emilio Island. Because we're about to get our party on. Let's take it away with a classic and something featured on this Fear Street Part 1 soundtrack, which we get into a lot here with Kate Hudson. And that's Radiohead's Creep. See you on the other side. good all good it's topical it's dude this is like for i think early millennial i guess i'm a late am i i'm an early i don't like the term geriatric millennial (laughs) generation catalano this is a fucking watershed moment that our pop culture is finally making it to the screen i just thought it was a little weird they decided to gear this towards gen z and not us mid to late 30 year olds it's all about the money, you know that. But Kate, welcome again to High School Slumber Party. I think people are going to be very excited today because you're usually here talking about Twilight and some other things, but this is Fear Street, one of your true, true, true passions. So how did you want me to introduce you? I forgot you like messaged me like, I need to be introduced this way. Fear Street historian. Fear Street historian, <laughs> Kate Hudson. Welcome back to the program. This is a uh, groundbreaking and the first time I messaged you to potentially be on an episode of High School Slumber Party, 
You messaged back right away, and like the first or second thing you said, I should actually look it up on Twitter, was like... You're going to have to wade through a lot of weird drunk <laughs> messages from me. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> like, you can't even deny it. It's just like, you know what, maybe if I search my Gmail, because how long have I been doing this with you? Like, a year? two, More than a year. I think more, yeah. Like, two years? Maybe. Oof. We're old, man. We're seniors now. <laughs> Let's see. Scrolling back. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It's Brian. It's a lot of drunk messaging about like, remember the night that I drunkenly invited our friend Charlie on the podcast? That's literally where I am right now. Scrolling yeah. back. Yeah. Yeah. Is it two three nineteen? Oh, great picks. Yeah. 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 It's this. I think you messaged me two three nineteen. So we're holy cats. We're two years into this, dude. Woo. We're sophomores. Our relationship is a sophomore. More, more. I think, I think I said, let me think about it. And I responded within like 30 seconds. That was stupid. I know exactly what I want to talk about. That was, that was amazing. That was first. I've talked about that um, a lot. <laughs> but yeah, I wrote you this long thing, you know, guest hunting. And you wrote back, hey, Brian, thanks for the kind words. Because I I'm commented that I read your stuff on Bajiba. Oh, no one should do that. <laughs> As a, as a 34-year-old woman with two cats and a complete Fear Street collection in my living, I am, of course, intrigued about talking <laughs> high school films with you. And thus, thus, history was made, a friendship was born. And again, the first thing I ever heard you talk about was Fear Street. And then, boom, we get this. I mean, you probably not have a little bit more background than I do, but I didn't know they were even making these. I just see that they dropped this trailer. They're like, hey, we're doing these three in a row and it's happening in like a month and I, I like tweeted you and i texted you i was like kate i was i'm not gonna say i was surprised but i was inspired by your eagerness because throughout this process of doing it you're like no i'm gonna watch it as soon as it comes out and we could record it right then and that's literally what we're doing right now yeah yeah <laughs> yeah like the only the only regret i have and i'll rectify that probably in the next couple of weeks is that you really need to take a shot every time so i created a fear street bingo for us and the intention was every time you hit a square in the bingo you need to take a drink because you really should be drunk to watch fear street <laughs> maybe i'm talking about my own alcohol like descent right now but i'm like you know it's, it's a fun drinking game but no i woke up at seven o'clock and i put that bad boy was on by eight <laughs> Well, I watched it early morning as well, and not in for shots in the early morning, but, (laughs) well, you know, I don't know, maybe I'll make some mimosa shots or something next time, regardless. (laughs) This this is going to be really, really fun. We're going to eschew the regular high school introduction, because I really want to hear what your history with the Fear Street franchise is. It is. I wish I had a good origin story. Like, if I think of my childhood, I think of Fear Street, Babysitter's Club, and Christopher Pike. And so I think Fear Street, for me, probably came about when I was 10 years old. So 1994, when the movie takes place. I wish I could tell you I remember what my first Fear Street book was, because it just is so... I've read them all so many times. And I I wasn't kidding. I probably was a little tipsy when I responded to you so quickly two and a half years ago. But (laughs) in my apartment in L.A., I had every, it's called the collection. So in college, I decided I had to own every single Fear Street. And back then you could still go to like Goodwill and find them for like 50 cents. I'm like, I need to have this. I need to curate this because I love revisiting these books even now as like a 20 year old. So I I, I envisioned that 
10, 15, 20, 30 years down the line, I would too. And I realized they'd be, get harder and harder to get as they get older because the thing about fear streets are if you read them, you basically tore them apart because you like just read them all the time because the kills were so like, oh my God. So anyway, I started my collection in college and it's literally gone with me across the world. And now it's in my guest room, in my office, in, um, in my current apartment. But yeah, this is, it's like, you know my thoughts on fan fiction, Brian. You know it makes me cringe. But I fucking, I wrote fan fiction for Fear Street when I was Wow. Yeah, I wrote sequels to books and stuff. Does this exist somewhere? Is there an archive of this? I wish I had it. The sequel I wrote was to Broken Hearts, my favorite super chiller, which is (laughs) so stupid. (laughs) It's about sisters, and one of them gets in a horse accident, and then, and then murder ensues. It's horse girls love it. (laughs) Oh my god! I like. I'm not even answering your question because it's just interwoven as part of my personality and my interests for like as long as I can remember. But I do want to touch on one thing before you insult me. Goosebumps is for babies. Don't bring it up. <laughs> I'm go- I have to bring it up because we're not that far apart in age, but we're, we're, it's a chasm Yeah. when you're young, right? Like two or three years is huge. So w- when you were doing the Fear Street, I was pretending to do the Goosebumps. Ugh. I saw Fear Street on the shelf. I was like, I, I don't know what really that is, but I would buy these Goosebumps books. Maybe I read three or four, but I had like 20, you know? That's what the kids did back then. You just had the books, they had cool covers. The covers felt bumpy and stuff. And that's how I really figured out who R.L. Stein was. It's funny because as a kid, I was more fascinated with R.L. Stein, the person, than what he was writing. Really? Which, which was really weird. The back cover jacket of the Goosebumps books would be like, R.L. Stein, you know, it would be like, kind of give him a fake creepy intro and then also be like, he lives in an apartment in New York. I'm like, what? He writes all these books and he just lives in an apartment? He doesn't have a mansion? (laughs) (laughs) Like, and I was fascinated by this character of, you know, who R.L. Stein was. And yeah, I'm more familiar with Goosebumps books. I know there was a Goosebumps movie. More more for kids, but yeah, okay. No, not for kids, they're for babies. Fear Street, like, I guess was for the cooler, the cooler tweens and teens, right? No, it's, it's for really, it's just hard to explain because it's, there is a generation, a micro generation. We're not going to call ourselves geriatric millennials. We're a generation Catalano, which got a shout out in the movie we just watched. That's just obsessed with murder. Like, I think it's because we grew up with stranger danger. Like, I don't know if the stranger danger, like, mentality you grew up with but like I was told people would get like snatch you on the street and it didn't help that my brother's classmate literally got snatched on the street and raped and murdered at like nine or ten years old so for me it was like a safe outlet to sort of experience those fears that you were basically inevitably told you will get snatched on the street and murdered like that was like that was the messaging in the late 80s and early 90s I don't know if it was just to me or I but I I feel like it was it was to everyone because there was a group of girls in my like fourth and fifth grade class where we would swap fear streets like we would lend them out to each other because we couldn't get enough of them yeah I think it's just like it was a safe way to experience like a very dangerous world but also a very oddly sanitized world because 
the progression is, is you go Fear Street, and then once you get sort of, like, sick of, like, the, frankly, puritanical views towards, like, sex and booze, once you want a little bit more titillation, you, you graduate to Christopher Pike, because those, those guys fuck, and they, like, drink, and the message isn't always beer is bad, so I'm all over the place this morning because it's, this morning, because it's, like, I hate those people who are, like, my interests are my personality, but I really feel like Fear Street is intrinsically linked to who I am as an adult. <laughs> you hit on some really good points. The whole like true crime generation, whatever, is of that. You're making a lot of sense here. <laughs> I, again, I'm just I'm so curious too for just a lot of reasons because, like I said, it kind of surprised me here. We were getting it this way, just like they were throwing this a Netflix kind of why a film at us of this franchise that yeah i know people talked about but you're right it, this one's marketed towards younger people so before we get into it, i'm very 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 curious again your thoughts on the film we're covering today fear street part one 1994 one more thing and i've shared this i think with you or on podcasts while my goosebumps babies my, yes my baby goosebumps thing was <laughs> You know, kind of a lie, kind of, you know, since I didn't really read too many of the books. Where I was working pre-pandemic was a building away from where R.L. Stein lived. <gasps> I know. And I remembered, I remembered like his face from looking him up as a kid and he looks the same. And I was like, oh shit. Like the first time I'm like, is that R.L. Stein? And I kept running into him and it confirmed that he lives there. I'm not going to say the apartment name because I don't want you people to to stalk R.L. Stein, but it is one of the most famous apartment buildings in New York City, one of the most expensive, but also arguably the most haunted building. So it's uh, interesting that he would pick to live in a haunted residence, right? Oh, well, I wonder if he moved into it. I don't know. I've told you I grew up in a haunted house, right? Maybe that's also the Fear Street stuff. Ooh, I didn't know that. Tell us. Oh, yeah. Really? I've never mentioned, see, I always do this where I just casually mention weird shit. And then I'm like, well, you know, I grew up in a haunted house where people would see faces outside the third floor window when it was Oof. steep drop down. My, my experience, okay, so I have two experiences. One is a lot, well, they're both pretty creepy. Uh, the first one, God, when I was probably about 17 or 18. So it was a three, it was a three story house in the middle of the woods on a mountain on a hill on the mountain that was carved out by glaciers and I learned about this in like my geology class that like there's a certain name for that type of mountain and like the druids or whatever thought it was like a supernatural like way lines it was like a supernatural portal like that's basically where spirits would congregate to move on to the next the next step and that's basically where my house was built it's funny I actually went to college in Alaska and they literally we, we went on a geology field trip in college because basically my professor was like, shit, let's get out of the, the classroom. He literally parked outside the house as like, this is an example of this. I'm like, that's the house I grew up in. He's like, well, that's weird. Anyway, so I was there one night about, it was dark in Alaska, but that doesn't mean anything. That could be like, <laughs> it was, I, I know it was just me and my, I think it was my little brother. I was on the middle floor and I hear this weird chamber music coming through the floorboards. I'm like, that's obnoxious. Turn it off. So I go downstairs. I don't hear anything. I go to the middle floor. I still hear it. I go upstairs. I hear nothing. And it literally sounds like it's coming through the floorboards. And like, Ooh. there was no source of the noise. For whatever reason, the, the ghost decided it was time to party. No, thank but you. 
Yeah, it was it was weird. Like and then like my brother would sleepwalk into my room sometimes and tell him the leader told him to and like you couldn't uh. wake him up. Like so that was weird. But the weirdest thing that happened to me is once I hit puberty and like you know when you're like a teenager like a teenager like you stay up way too late because like your parents are normal people and go to bed at a normal time. <laughs> so I'd stay up really late on the internet and this is back before anybody had like laptops or so a computer room was at the top of the house. If it happened once, it would happen multiple times throughout the night, but I would hear like sand being thrown against the window. Like, you know how like if someone was throwing something against the window to get you to come outside? Yeah. Um, and it just happened, like it only ever happened to me and it happened for like five or six years. Like I would be alone in a room and it would follow me around the house and it was just something trying to get me to go outside. It's like the weirdest thing. Like that's the creepiest thing. Like I just sort of knew something wanted me to come outside, but I also knew I shouldn't go outside. No, thank you. I, I will right? pass on that. <laughs> Maybe that's why I love Fear Street. But I will say the, the postscript is my dad still lives in that house and I've been back as an adult and it doesn't happen anymore. And I would ask my siblings if it ever happened to them. They're like, no, what are you talking about? That's insane. Interesting. Well, you are someone who is more connected to the spiritual world right you've ghost cats that follow you and oh yeah yeah it's not all negative right no i just believe in that shit and i always have basically everybody in my family believes in that you know it's funny as i was talking to my girlfriends when we were staying in a haunted airbnb because shit was definitely like haunting our dreams that there uh, when we were there but they all pinpoint they're like your house was super creepy growing up and they both pinpointed where most of like the negative weird energy was coming from like independent of each other it was very weird i could see why you'd be drawn to fear street then off the bat i'm gonna ask this about the books yes I know you said they're not as like, yes, they're not baby books, but you graduate out of them or at some point you said, but are they good in the sense like you read Twilight books, Stephanie Meyer, it's Stephanie Meyer, right? Like, are we talking about that with R.L. Stein? Because again, I'm only familiar with stuff that was supposed to titillate me as a, as a young child, right? Oh, I mean, that's, that's such a loaded question. I will say that it is, it is a workman's approach to writing in the sense that like it's there to get the job done it's not particularly descriptive he does recycle things to the point where they're like classic fear street like raspy voice is bad oh of course horror, find a body i've been rereading well i always reread them <laughs> like i reread a couple a year and i've been rereading um a couple leading up to this conversation and it doesn't make me cringe i mean it's very of its time but if you're considering that we're not the target audience as people in our thirties, that it's younger kids who probably don't have a rich vocabulary, but you're there to like freak them the fuck out and you're there to give them some kill shots. Yeah. I, th I think it's still good. I mean, in context, he, the dude was writing at least a book a month, right? Like it, it's insane just how prolific he is. Do you know how many Fear Street books are there are in total? I mean, I could pull up my spreadsheet and tell, well, so, okay, that's a loaded question because also it get, it got to a point because the goosebumps took off that he started using ghostwriters and you can tell which ones are, have been ghostwritten really? because they'll actually say it. Yeah, like, so he didn't, there's this whole subset of Fear Street, which I started to collect, but I don't have all of them called the Fear Street Sagas which is relevant to what we're talking about because it's all about like the history of the fear family, which I only have a couple of those, but all like 
all the hardcore fear streets here there's probably if i had to guess about between 70 and 80 but there's also you know there's the fear street seniors which is 12 which is like its own little sub-series once he got off Scholastic. Interesting, interesting. And I do have all those. You know what's funny is we talked about this on Twilight Forever about how the pandemic made people really nostalgic for the things of their youth. I would dip into eBay to see how much the collection was worth and people were paying insane prices for Fear Streets. Like insane. Well, that's only going to go up now for sure. Oh yeah, no. My complete collection because I've... (laughs) I have a spreadsheet where I log all of them. I would say it's probably worth if I wanted to sell that right now, which I never would. I'm being buried with it. Upwards of probably $1,000 because I have all the seniors, which are hard to get. And I have all of the Fear Streets. And then I have um, all the newer Fear Streets too. The ones that he like did in hardcover. If it came out in hardcover in the last 10 years, I bought that too. <laughs> wow. Wow. So you alluded to your spreadsheet. You let me take a little peek of it a couple weeks ago, but what is on your spreadsheet? I have them in order. I have a description of them and then I have a column of how I own it. And then I think I also, for some of them, I ha- I note the condition that they're in and it's broken up by Fear Street, Fear Street Seniors. And then I have Christopher Pike, Babysitter's Club, Babysitter's Super Special, Babysitter's Mysteries. But I also have Sweet Valley High as well. But that is not a good enough. That's not, that wasn't my series. So that's not in the spreadsheet. So you don't consider yourself a Sweet Valley High expert as much as you are a uh, Fear Street expert. Fear Street subject matter expert. Correct. <laughs> Correct. So it, it looks like, I haven't updated this in a while, so I haven't put the new, new, newest ones, but it looks like there was 58 official Fear Streets, but then there's, let's see, then there's like 13 super specials. Oh, and then I break out the trilogies. So yeah, there's there's a lot. I was hoping that they would somehow include the Cataluna Chronicles, which is like the craziest, most weirdest Fear Street trilogy, where it's about a haunted car, but really by the, the ghost of a witch from the 1600s. Ooh, so I, this is a perfect time to then get to the adaptation here today, Fear Street <laughs> Part 1, 1994. Yes. Every, every week I read... Back of DVD, back of VHS. This is Netflix, and Netflix notoriously has the shortest bios of anything, even other streaming services. So here goes. After a series of brutal slayings, a teen and her friends take on an evil force that's plagued their notorious town for centuries. Welcome to Shadyside. So that's it. Now, this is, this is the burning question I've been wanting to ask. Is this an adaptation of any sort. Um, there's so many books. I imagine they couldn't fit everything in here. Is this a brand new story? Like, where are we in terms of that here? I'm just envisioning myself in like a library with leather bound Fair Street books, Willie, my <laughs> cognac saying, I'm glad you asked Brian. <laughs> so <laughs> it is, it takes a lot of elements. It's mainly having to do with the history of Shadyside, but they definitely introduced a lot of new things. So Sarah Fear is definitely a, a villain in the lore of Fear Street. It's interesting that they chose her instead of Simon Fear, because a lot of the earlier books mentioned Simon Fear. Sarah Fear is a contemporary witch who was, I think she was burned at the stakes in the book, and she definitely cursed the land. But supernatural killers are not, it's not really a Fear Street thing. 
and let me explain. So the first scene, we see the first evil, which is the first of the cheerleaders saga, because there's like five books in that series. And that is a dead giveaway to what's going to happen, because in that book, the head cheerleader gets thrown from a bus um, and lands on Sarah Fear's grave only that actually instantly kills her. And then Sarah Fear inhabits her body and that's Sarah Fear doing the killings. But this notion that ghosts can come alive and kill you, that's a sort of newer Stein thing, like the newer books that he wrote in the past five, six years. He's had like ghosts be more villainous, but typically it's a meat suit gets inhabited by an evil spirit. But even then, most fear streets are just like classic slashers. Gotcha, gotcha. So there were nuggets in here then. This wasn't just like fear street in name only, right? Like there were nuggets in here that you were very familiar with. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All the twists you could see coming. But I was, I was disappointed because it literally wasn't fear street because they never once mentioned fear street because fear street was an actual location. Which was on your bingo board. So spoiler alert. I mean, you mentioned it before, but you made bingo boards for this, which were great. I actually got a lot on there but i did not get bingo well i made like 40 cards so we can we can dispense the links for maybe the next time but yeah i i put fear street mentioned as the middle free square because how can you have a book a movie about fear street and not fucking mention fear street like that's insane to me so the other thing that was really interesting to me was shady side in the books what i love about the books is that Shadyside is treated like a middle American town that just happens to have the highest teen murder rate in the world, basically. And the adults are like, oh, it's okay. Go out, go have fun. And like kids are dying literally every week. It doesn't, Sunnyvale was a movie invention. So in Shadyside was its own weird microcosm where Fear Street was where the poor kids lived. And then North Hills was where all the rich kids lived because like you'd have books this is going to be a shout out to our Fear Street fans. You'd have books like Silent Night, which was about Reva. I th- think Reva Delby was her name. And her, her dad owned the department store. So she was a rich ass bitch who lived in a North Hills mansion. And she just looked down on Fear Street. Gotcha. Interesting. Interesting. Because I was going to ask about that town construct. The nuts and bolts of the story, like these main characters we're seeing here. I'm assuming that's all invented for the movie, right? Yes, but there are some nods to the classic books because our main heroine's name is Dina, and Dina is the heroine of Wrong Number, the book that's sold in the very beginning to the bitchy mom who turns out to be the cheerleader's mom, Sam. Simon is Simon Fear, obviously, a nod to the founder of Shadyside. Kate, I don't remember any characters named Kate, which is funny because... Obviously, as a narcissist, I remember <laughs> that. And I forget the, the dorky little brother's name, so he must not have been a nod. Josh was Josh. his name. I'm sure there's a Josh in Fear Street. But it wasn't <laughs> Gary Brandt or Suki Thomas. Those are classic side characters in Fear Street that I don't think we ever really found. Well, Suki Thomas was in The Overnight. But Gary Brandt, I don't think he was ever a main character, but he's a huge like ho, and so is Suki Thomas. And they were always stealing boyfriends or girlfriends or going out with people. So I was a little disappointed we didn't get those names. I had them both on my board, so upset with that. Did you play the bingo? I did. I did. My um, my card, I didn't get any bingos, but I got like 13. I think I got 13 or 14 squares. So I was pretty good for prognosticating what yeah. you should recover. Like, okay, so this was my closest one. Um, I was close in a couple places. I got Mysterious Lore. Yep. New to Town. Yep. The one girl was new to town, the new town, whatever. Mysterious Older Guy. 
Who is the mysterious older guy? Well, uh, maybe I was stretching there, but when they cut to that like drug dealing hospital guy, I was like, he's mysterious. Yeah. He's older. Yeah. Yeah. And then the mall, right? Oh God, yeah, the mall. That was big. So the, what I missed in that category was dead sibling, and I thought we got it, but we did. We did. Who? Um, remember Simon's brother died for a little bit. He died and he came back. You got a bingo. Does that count if they I come back? I think so. I don't know. You know, you're the ruler here, not me. This is your. I universe. think so. You got a bingo, man. <laughs> All right, a then. Street bingo. Then I did get bingo. So the <laughs> the other ones I had is boyfriend is suspect. Yep. Absent parents. Oh yeah. BFF dies. Yep. Alone at Shady Side High. I know they were all together, but they they were separated. Oh yeah, you're right. Occult. Yep. Black magic. Yep. Did we get a raspy voice here? I was going to ask you about that. No, I was really disappointed, but I do think we got an O of horror. What is that? Okay, that was my next question. What is that? Okay, so every time, basically 95% of the time, a body is discovered in Fear Street, he describes it as like still eyes and an open mouth O of horror. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> we have a couple of open mouth bodies. That's an O of horror. I'll look out for that next time. Then I got cheerleaders. Yup. And then I, I don't know if you want to count this one, but I put BFF betrayal. No, I, I was like, you know what? It wasn't the intention of the betrayal, yeah. but it was... It was technically a betrayal. Yeah, so I wasn't I wasn't sure about that one. Regardless, I did according to your rules, I got bingo anyway. So Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I was gonna ask you, Gary Brent Himbo, you kinda answered that one. <laughs> and Suki <laughs> Thomas is a slut. <laughs> my favorite because because you have to keep in mind a middle-aged guy is writing these so all the girls always fucking hated Suki Thomas because <laughs> she was a slut. And then um so the other thing which I didn't put in the bingo card, which I was, I was disappointed they didn't do, was they always describe what they look like. And it's always like, I have almond eyes and auburn hair. It's a little bit long. And I have a cute button nose type of thing. And I love it. <laughs> they didn't do that. Yeah. And I, I would have liked to see that, especially for your sake. But I could kind of get why. This director, Lee Janiak... First of all, whole series directed by a woman here, which is awesome. We love yep. to see that. Thank you, Netflix. I wasn't too familiar with her work previous to this, but she she definitely, you know, she was a teenager in 1994 as well. And she loved Fear Street and she really wanted to bring this to the screen. But she also wanted to, let's be honest, make a kind of modern horror film as well. So... That would be probably hard to pull off if someone was like, I have almond eyes. <laughs> or it could be like a diary. To, like you could have used it as like a diary um, entry as a framing device, but yeah. So off the bat, like we talk about this on Twilight Forever, right? Like uh, they started out with Catherine Hardwick and then they switched to all guys. We're getting, you know, a, a female perspective here for these movies. Uh, do you think it uh, helped or added or at all? Do you think it was important? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, listen, I love R.L. Stein, and I will never talk shit about him. However, those books are very much a sign of the time. They were very much written by an older white guy. So I think to make this work, and if you're really going to, like, just kill off a bunch of horny teenagers, a woman's take is better because you have to marry the titillation without being overly exploitative. That makes a lot of sense here. I honestly think she did a really, really good job. I think you and I mentioned this off air, so correct me if I'm wrong, but the reason they're kind of just 
launching them at us like this was it was supposed to come out i think last year during the pandemic yeah yeah so do you know the history of this film at all well so i was reading an article so first off they were supposed to come out last summer i believe second off they were talking about how it was going to get a a major release in the in the theaters and it was going to be one week after the other but to be honest my memory is that this was always going to be a netflix movie so I wonder if it was going to be in concurrence, like, you know, in the major cities, Netflix will sometimes have oh, yeah. that, but yeah, I, I think that this movie really works on the small screen. It feels like it was done to be a slumber party movie. <laughs> For sure. Right. Like it, it is up our alley in so many ways here. I think Netflix and just streaming in general is perfect for this kind of stuff. Who's going to go to the theater three days in a row? I mean, there are three weeks in a row. And I don't know. Look, I would do that, but... I would. That's ask. Yes, you would, because it's Fear Street. <laughs> but that's asking a lot of kids who are used to just watching everything on their phone to, like, commit three weekends in a row to see something they're not that familiar with. So I'm, I'm with you. They probably were going to do that big city release limitedly. But this, to me, seems destined always for Netflix like this. And honestly, a couple of years ago, if I said destined for Netflix... It would have been an insult to a film. That's not an insult anymore. No. Well, I think that maybe that's why they went so heavy on like the Gen Z celebrities. So I watched the show Panic over the summer. We haven't even talked about this. It's a high school show. And like half the cast of Panic is in Fear Street. And I was looking up like, so I'm, I'm old. These people all look the same to me now. But apparently <laughs> that was like Uma Thurman's daughter, Maya Hawk, who was in Stranger Things. So I think that she's like the Drew Barrymore of this movie because they kill her off real quick. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that was Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke's daughter. I mean, it's Hawk, but crazy. Wow, what lineage? We are so old right now because kids, the kids love Stranger Things. She apparently was, I, I fucking hate that show. But... She was in like season three or four. She was a big deal. That was her breakout role. We're just, we're just, it's a sign of the times. Yeah, because I recognized almost nobody from this cast. I thought they did a great job, but I I wasn't too familiar with most of the people. Who were you familiar with? Um, Sam. She was in Panic. She's the star of Panic, which by the way is Jack Nicholson's son, and he looks a lot like him. The Brian Torres was also in Panic. Oh, interesting. The girl, Kate, looked so familiar, but she's basically been in nothing. She just has that popular Gen Z face, basically. And then, obviously, I recognize Jillian Jacobs at the very, very end. Yes, that, that's someone I definitely knew and was familiar with. But again, showing our age a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought the sheriff is a guy named Ashley Zuckerman. At first, I thought he was like BJ Novak from The Office. He did look like him, didn't he? <laughs> like, Wait, no, that's not him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but so he dropped a major clue for the next couple of movies. And you guys have to know I haven't seen these. But he just said, you can call me Sheriff Good at one point. Mm-hmm. So a Fear Street nerd would know that this all kicks off. All of the Fear Street lore kicks off between the goods and the fears. And fear is spelled F-I-E-R back then. And, like, I think I'm really rusty on the Fear Street lore because I haven't reread those trilogies in a while. But at one point they drink blood and, like, Ooh, you're full of surprises in a goblet. It's awesome. But... <laughs> It's the goods and the fears are at war. So I have a feeling that's going to play a part in the Sunnyvale versus Shady Side. It probably will come to a head in the third movie, but I have a feeling that that's definitely going to be in play. Because he mentions briefly also that his brother is the mayor yep. of, of that town, the nicer town. What was it, Sunnyside? Sunnyvale. Sunnyvale, yeah. 
And you're like, okay, he wouldn't just say that unless it meant something. So thank you for educating me on the lore. That's definitely going to come back to us. Oh, for sure. They focused way too much on Sunnyvale, which by the way, this is all a movie invention. I have to like, I don't know if I loved it because I, I'm an old school Fear Street purist. I preferred the Fear Street versus North Hills versus Shadyside versus Sunnyvale. Gotcha. Gotcha. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess it's maybe whatever. We don't know the director's choice. Maybe we'll find out. Maybe by the third movie, we'll see why it makes more sense. Or I don't know. I can tell you why she did it because she wanted to draw. I mean, it's, it's a 2021 comparison. It's white privilege versus everybody else. Like, didn't you notice that Sunnyvale is so white and Shadyside is definitely multicultural? And there's definitely a lot of that in this film. This is a very 2021 film in yeah. that respect. There were no same-sex couples in Fear, Fear Street. There were, I think everybody was white on the cover too, except I know Bad Moonlight, the werewolf band. There's a black girl on the cover of that, but yeah, just it's a very white series. But it's when you read the books, I don't think anybody's skin color is. It's rarely mentioned. You're getting on like a huge point here because our lead is a person of color, and our two leads really are. Uh, you know, LGBTQ positive relationship, you know, mm -hmm. th that's something that even though I didn't know, I was pretty sure it wasn't in the book, right? Like I couldn't oh. imagine R.L. Stein being super progressive when it comes to that. And it's not his fault. Nothing of that time was like that, right? Like, well, well, I, I truly, so I think he was really constrained by what Scholastic would let him do. Because I put in beer bad in our bingo because literally I am very convinced that if somebody had alcohol in a book, they had to get murdered or be the murderer. Like that is like, the, it's like scream. There are rules to Fear Street. Like if you're a slut, you gotta die. If you have beer, you are bad and you gotta die or you're the murderer or something bad has to happen to you. Well, as much as this is for young people though, it is pretty like graphic in terms of the kills and stuff. This is a this is a bloody movie. I'm not the biggest gore fan out there. I'm not the biggest horror fan. I don't hate horror, but like, I'm not like, you know, I don't know horror like a lot of people who come on this podcast even. Me neither. <laughs> so in that respect, just from like the aesthetics and the kills, did that match up to your expectations? Did it exceed it? Did it disappoint you? Yeah. So the thing about the kills is that you always, for the most part in a Fear Street, got the kills after the fact, but they were inventive. Like Kate going through the bread slicer. That is Oof. classic Stein. Classic. Great. Like, so the, the kill that I guarantee you everybody remembers from Fear Street is how he boiled his heroin alive in the school showers in the cheerleaders the first evil it is like the most memorable fear street kill because she's in the showers and she can't get out and she, it scowled her to death like Yikes. there are some classic weird fucked up fear streets like i put in our bingo if there's a pet you could just basically assume it's gonna die no like my, oh no but they're so stupid brian like there's one in one evil summer where a wolfhound is attacking our um heroine so she goes out into the the sea and a fucking shark gets it it's amazing oh my God. <laughs> you're just like what the hell so like he will absolutely kill a pet because okay now i remember when i got off track because there's rules that he has to abide by i think from the publisher so i think that like he got limited in how many kills he could have in a book or per page so he started like he would get around it by just killing a pet oh i see that that yeah. makes sense there are rules to fear street so in that vein you rarely got a kill you got the 
aftermath of a kill, and it was described pretty gorily. Arl Stein is not like disassociating himself from this or anything. Like he's very excited about this. He was involved to an extent. So maybe, maybe if he had his way, it would be like this too. Who knows? Well, yeah, because once he got off Scholastic, he went to another publisher, and all of a sudden, beer wasn't bad anymore. Oh, the teens were allowed to actually act like teens. So no, he he gets it. This is why I love Fear Street, though, especially the original trilogy. Like I said, because it operates in its own weird microcosm where there is are consistent rules, and yet adults don't seem to give a shit that they have the highest teen murder rate in the entire world. <laughs> that's great, though, and that's something I really took away from this film. There's like a, and I'm sure it's even bigger in the books, like you're saying. There's a language to this city and this town yeah. and. And just what is happening here. Again, I, I really enjoyed the movie. I was afraid that you might not. And, you know, we'll get to our grades just because who the hell knows, right? They say don't meet your heroes. This is kind of like meeting a hero of it yours, was, right? It, it was. It was. Like, I, it's, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. It, yeah. If they didn't put Fear Street on it, I probably would have enjoyed it a lot more. Just as like a throwback nostalgia to my youth. And I get that. And I totally respect that too. If I had such a love for a subject matter, I'd probably feel the same way. But I hope there was some fun stuff you took from here. Let's talk about the story then. What were some moments that really stuck out to you? I mean, the kill at the end. I was like, holy shit, they went there. I thought, I honestly didn't think they had the balls to kill two of the mains. Well, that's so fascinating, right? As we're building to that ending, I mean, I was with you, like the bread slicer thing. I was like, oh my God. I, and I, I just didn't think that that was going to happen, especially the way that they were setting everything up. Yeah, they were setting it up as a franchise, basically, for these four people. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, they're all going to do their thing. You know, spoiler alert, they seems like they're going to travel through time at some point. But I was like, oh, they're going to do it together. I, maybe they still will. I don't know, but holy shit. Oh, no, she did. She did. Sometimes he'll retcon shit, and I hate it when he retcons, because he retconned an entire, one of the fierce, uh, the, the cheerleader saga, the last to, like, cap it off. It, like, I think he does, it was all a dream. I appreciate that they killed them, because they were hoes, and you can't be a hoe in fierce. You have to die if you're a hoe. There were also, I was surprised that they were, like, open drug dealers right <laughs> like well that was that's why i was surprised they even got that far to the end before they got murdered because in fear street you're going down for that yeah <laughs> and most horror though right like and i'm like whoa this is like a netflix movie not aimed at kids but aimed at like teenagers and stuff and they're like yo the drug crowd awesome are you watching a little too much eu euphoria netflix are you trying to do this and i'm like <laughs> oh oh they die okay so <laughs> i knew that he was a goner when he masturbated interesting right yeah like that's another touchstone of, of kind of <laughs> horror and, and thing no pun intended but that's <laughs> that's a good call quickly early on you mentioned it this whole uh the thing with the uh, girl getting killed from the bookstore at the mall i thought it was a really cool way to open it up i thought it really like set the tone for what this was it was so scream it was so scream yeah i mean for sure like, but what's funny is because scream has been in our pop culture lexicon now for 25 years it's now its own trope right like now the opening kill we expect it i think scream reintroduced that into like the horror for sure. i mean horror people probably are like no actually blah 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 but in my mind yeah but scream is what kicked off like a whole slew of teen films so we pay homage to it a lot 
here on High School Slumber Party. And maybe it didn't kick it off again. We're not the horror nerds. But <laughs> it it certainly, like you said, brought it back. And that's what most people think of when they see this. And the, the funny thing that I've noticed with horror people, as opposed to, I don't know, pick another genre, but they don't mind tropes. They enjoy tropes. It's like, oh, oh yeah. th- this is when this is going to happen. This is when that's going to happen. Other genres like, oh, I saw that in that movie already. Like, I guess the like horror people like to pay homage. And yeah, definitely a lot of scream here. And just again, the neon of the mall. So late 80s, early 90s. I, I love it. Anything neon soaked, I love anyway. But I, I loved just seeing that. It brought me back to my childhood. But it also brought me back to, you know, movies we've covered here on High School Slumber Party. Even like Valley Girl, right? Like, Oh, yeah. I thought, I thought it was really, really cool. I know the 90s are really hot right now, but whatever. I'm glad they went back to 94 because that's when the series is, is like from, right? The heyday of Fear Street is probably 92 to 96. Like, I think that's when it was the most prolific. And it's funny, I just had to look up how old the director is. And she's part of that uh, Generation Catalano, for sure. 80 to 85, we're that weird micro generation where we're not like participation award millennials, but we don't have the sort of nihilism of Gen X. (laughs) And that's perfect. That's perfect. I feel like you and her should be friends. I feel like you need to have a chat. Oh, my God. We would, we'd probably geek out over Fear Street because I guarantee you if she was born in 80, that means she was 10 and 90. So she was probably, she probably graduated from Fear Street about 93 because you graduate when you're about 13. Gotcha. And she sets it almost the year she graduates, 94. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. I honestly, like, I remember in the 90s when we were doing the 70s nostalgia, like the Brady Bunch movie came out. My mom was just like so happy. Right. Her stuff, like she got to revisit. And I feel the same way now. When I go to uh, baseball games, I feel that way because, you know, I used to go to baseball games as a kid, whatever. You know, it was baseball. But now <laughs> I'm like sitting, eating my like artisanal grilled cheese invented thing and drinking a craft beer from a selection of craft beers still enjoying that game no but but that's but that's i'm saying that's baseball today right like but you see the old man behind me and he's like he's looking at me like fuck you i just drink a beer and i'm not going to move from my seat the entire time it's validating (laughs) but you know what scares me that like this window is small right it's pretty soon going to be like oh, they're making so many things that I'm not in touch with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is, oh. Enjoy it now, people. If you're, if you're in the wheelhouse where they're finally making things for you, just enjoy it, please. I guess, yeah, High School Summer Party is a freaking podcast about high school movies, so it's part of this. So you know what I do when I, I'm a little too drunk at night now? Is I get on eBay and buy old Seventeen magazines from 1996 to 97. Like, or like, I just, I just bought like the details magazine. I bought at 13 with John Cusack on the cover when I was like, Oh, I love him. So I'm like rebuying all my teeny bopper shit. I bought a, I bought my Rolling Stone with Julia Stiles on the cover (gasps) of it the other day. It's, it's what we do, but that's why the, what's the generation Z. That's why they hate us. (laughs) Why do they hate us? They hate us. If you ever go on TikTok, they hate us. Why? They're like, oh, they're so into nostalgia. Live in the now, old man. You know, they, they say stuff like that. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, they hate us. They Like, they hate us like we hate boomers. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Because I was like, ugh, mom, why do you like bell bottoms? Like, in like 
97. So guess what, kids? Your time is coming. We'll just be, the planet will just be on fire by then. So you will be able to buy your youth, youthful items anymore. You'll have to be fighting for water resources. <laughs> yeah, I hope we're the last generation that can do that. No, I don't. Right? I, don't. Well, I don't. I don't hope, but I have a feeling we might be. Wah, wah. This is fun. But yeah, and that's another that's another thing that I'm I'm pretty sure that's why they geared it to that generation as well, just so they could again make the most money because you're going to have your nostalgia people, but you're also going to have your kids who don't give a fuck about the Fear Street books who enjoy it. and maybe maybe they'll read them, but maybe not. I don't know. I don't think they will. We'll I see, but yeah, I, I don't think so. I don't think these are coming back into print. There's a lot of aspects that are very regressive, aka Gary Brandt and Suki Thomas being hosts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I need a high school slumber party t-shirt store. They've been assuring me of that because that would be great on a t-shirt. I, I'd cut you in, don't worry. <laughs> the three people that would buy it. <laughs> I'd wear it. Well, that's the thing. Anybody who loves Fear Street's like, yup, Gary Grant, <laughs> Suki Thomas, they're big sluts. <laughs> I love it. I love Fear Street. It's just like, it's the absurdity of it is just amazing. I kind of know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask anyway. Um, <laughs> do you think that the fact that, you know, our two main characters are lesbians and there's people of color here, um, does it feel shoehorned into you or do, do you think the director was able to naturally make it seem like it's normal? Cause it is normal. Right. But you know, you get some woke, some anti-woke bros being like, Oh, they ruined fear street because of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think as a fear street purist, I don't like that she made shady side versus Sunnyvale, but I think that that was the impetus for doing all these other things. And I think that you kind of lose the weird magic of the microcosm of Shady Side because you can accomplish that by having people live on Fear Street and then in the fancier subdivision, which was touched on in the books. Like, you know, if North Hills, like, was mentioned that they were like rich as hell. If you know, if they were Fear Street, they were, you know, lower, they were lower to lower middle class. And I think that you could have interwoven that by making it. Fear Street is where primarily like people of color live and then like showing that dichotomy but they basically just chose to supersede that with by making it another city and I guarantee you it's going to come back in the third movie as we've already discussed that's going to be the goods versus the fears the goods in Sunnyvale the fears in um, Shadyside and I think in the books if I'm not mistaken that that all takes place in Massachusetts and they never really talk about where Shadyside is but I think the general consensus is it's in Ohio and in the movies it's definitely in Ohio. Yeah. So basically I think it's a framing device to justify all the weird Puritan shit that actually is in the books and to base it in the location of where Shady Side is. Mm, that makes sense. That makes sense. But I feel like we lost the magic. I really do. By not focusing the action on Fear Street and making Fear Street the microcosm that they decided to make Shady Side is. Oh, we'll see. Maybe we'll actually get Fear Street at some point. But you're right. We don't get it here. We're not. If we're going to camp the next time. We don't know. We, we're not in camp yet. It could start. At, uh, I'm just wishful thinking, okay? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Camp Nightwing actually is a book. It's okay. lights out. I have a feeling that it's going to be just a name only. But yeah, he loves to like base things at camp, too. Any uh, um, other scenes or moments in here that really stuck with you positive negative you know it's the music 
that was the music was such a time capsule back to that very specific time in the 90s that's like the scenes themselves sort of blur together but the music the clothes the only thing that they got kind of wrong was the hair for Mm, staging it in 94 i wonder why that was well i don't think anybody ever really gets hair or makeup right when they're basing something in the past except for maybe mad men because products change like where was the bobby brown brown lipstick like where <laughs> like true. where was like the chunky highlights where was like friends post yeah friends i think friends was about friends had premiered like a month in friends was like a huge thing so where are like those sort of pop culture touch touchstones i feel like nobody can ever really get it right it's always like 2021s or 2020s interpretation of the 90s it was it was an approximation but it wasn't totally there what did you think? Well, I really liked it. Again, you have a better memory of that time than I do. But the the music, you're right. I mean, not just brought me back, but also freaking good good songs in here. Yeah. What were some of your favorites? We talk about soundtrack a lot. Well, at least on our first lap of our Twilight franchise. So. Oh my God, garbage! Only half. Of, you have to understand, like, oh my God, garbage! I love garbage, and like white zombie more human than human that was a song i heard incessantly in 1995 like it was everywhere what else did they play i didn't like that our main girl called them the pixies because everybody who likes pixies know Ooh, they're just pixies good call so that was that yeah that took me out a little bit i'm like girl like one of you guys whoever wrote it or like you accidentally just put a the and no like 90s kid was there to be like wait a second i think they had radiohead creep which is so 94 you know how it is. They have, um, even uh, our good friend Ryan Stick in, in Canada got up to see these movies ahead of time. So once like Netflix says, okay, you could release the articles, the articles start coming out. So I just like Googled um, songs in Fear Street and Screen Rant has them all listed already. Okay. Right? So, I mean, I, I can't, oh, well, let's see. <gasps> Soundgarden, The Day I Tried to Live, Pixies, Prodigy, Firestarter, I forgot about that one. Um, Cowboy Junkies, Sweet Jane. Oh my god, I haven't heard Cowboy Junkies, Sweet Jane, like, seriously, since 1995. 99 Tales, Thursday, uh, Radiohead Creep, we said that, um, Bush, Machine Head. Yes! Oh my god, yes! That was straight out of 19, Marky Mark in 1996's Fear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and again, a bunch of others, a Snoop Dogg track. Oh, uh, it opened with Closer, Nine Inch Nails. That was yes. such a scandalous song back then. Great soundtrack, though. I, I wonder, I guess we're going to get 70s songs in the next one, but are we getting songs from the 1600s in the third one? <laughs> <laughs> Gregorian chants. Like. <laughs> I am almost positive, and not to jump the gun on this, I'm almost positive, though, that that third one is not going to 100% be based in the 1600s. I think they're going to come back, as you said. Right. I don't know. He really fucking loves to base things in the 1600s. There are so many Fear Street books based in the 1600s. He even made one about a witch who transforms into like a possessed car. It's amazing. If anybody <laughs> can track down the Cataluna Chronicles, I thoroughly encourage. Everybody. That's like the word of the day today, the Cataluna Chronicles. It's because it's like. What makes Fear Street so amazing is that he would just power through the ridiculous premise. And the most ridiculous premise is a witch haunting a car. 
Because at one point, I'm pretty sure the car is in the forest in the 1600s. It's so <laughs> stupid. Like, there's also like a haunted amusement park. It's just, it's ama- it's amazing. It sounds fun to me. I don't know. <laughs> it is. Like, that's the thing. Like, you, that's the exact word to describe Fear Street. It's fun, right? Like, even when somebody dies, and this is what the movie did touch on, like, she's hooking up with her girlfriend after her best friend died, and there's no residual trauma. Like, if your best friend dies in this, like, a 24-hour period, you're not going to be like, oh, let me go make out with my girlfriend. Except if you're in Fear Street. It's awesome. Nobody ever has residual trauma from the horrors that they, like, encounter they're so used to it kate they're so used to it it's amazing unless having residual trauma is part of the plot in order to put more trauma onto the character perhaps by the way if you're listening and you're like why aren't they going scene by scene one it just came out watch it please two it's still like sinking in with me like i can't i'm having a hard time recalling actual scene by scene stuff but how the, how the brain works, I've noticed in podcasting, is that once we get to the sequel and the third one, we're going to be like, oh, yeah, remember that moment from the first one that teased that? Exactly. They set this all up here. So we're just feeling out this universe. I mean, you obviously know more of it from the books than I do, but this is just a primer for what's to come in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but so far, I'm in. Again, I, I love I loved what this director did i love the coloring i love the music you know did everything like impact me to a crazy level no images though i put this in my notes to ask you mm-hmm. like the skull and stuff are these big images or like the the other bad guys too the one with like a sack on his head are these images from the books or is this something the director invented she directed she invented it i mean skulls like the Halloween party, like it's a girl with like I think it's a skull grabbing her shawl, but in general, no, she she completely created these guys. Because we get this like montage of like all the years that this stuff happened and we see a lot of cool and interesting looking killers and I'm like, oh what's that? What's that? And I was curious if that those were from the books or not. No, so so in the books, sorry, and for the Fear Street aficionados, it's a pumpkin school, not an actual school grabbing her shell. <laughs> Good to know. I just had to look it up. So in the books it's really interesting because if it didn't it either happened in the sixteen hundreds, the nineteen twenties, or contemporary contemporaneously. Like there, no, there's no other time period in Fear Street. Sixteen hundreds is when Simon Fear, like the goods and the fears kick off their whole like hullabaloo. 1920s is when, this gets mentioned a lot, when Simon Fear's mansion burned down on Fear Street and the initial Fear Street saga sort of covers what happens in between that. But in the actual like Fear Street canon, then nothing gets like talked about. It kind of happens timelessly until like the action is happening in the books. So they'll mention the witch trials occasionally. They'll mention Simon Fear's mansion burning down all the time. And then no other history, no other timing. Because I think that they wanted these books to be evergreen. Interesting, interesting. That kind of agrees with what you said in terms of like the character descriptions that they're not like, I'm a white lady or something like that. It's a, it's a bit evergreen as well. So Except for the I'm, books. Like I've been, I've been Googling the book covers. While oh, the covers, talking. yeah. Oh, yeah. Everybody's white. Literally, I think the only black person in the entire series is in the werewolf band. Yeah, I actually, when you mentioned that, I looked that up and I'm like, oh, okay. And she's not even the only person on that cover. No, it's very telling of the times that these books were written. That I don't think there's any Asian characters. 
I think they're all white except for the one black girl on the cover of the Super Chiller. Oh, Ski Weekend. That's an interesting one. Oh, Ski Weekend is great. And of course, of course, I click the image and it's from an article you wrote. So oh. that's surprising. <laughs> I, I loved that series of YA books. And then eventually the owner of the site was like, you know, these get no traffic, right? Like you should probably stop. <laughs> If I ever get on my site again, I will only exclusively talk about YA books from the 90s, my friends. <laughs> love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do want to talk about the, the ending we mentioned with the meat slicer. Sorry, what was? No, it's a bread slicer, right? Yeah, it's a bread slicer at a grocery store. That grocery store ending to me, and again, I'll say for the 10th millionth time, like I'm not the biggest horror fan. I loved the setup here. I loved what it looked like again the lighting the fact that it was dark you know it almost gave me like the jurassic park kitchen vibes at times just a bunch of stuff in here that was just awesome and this final battle and yeah i watched this very early in the morning and i op- like i loudly said oh my god yeah when those two characters died and what ended up happening here it- it's insane I know after she got it i'm like well they better kill him then and then oh, they yeah. killed him right next i'm like okay good i, I don't even, how did he die i don't even remember i know axe he died to the head axe to the head right but hers was the one that was like <gasps> but they do that so there's one scene in a fear street book where a guy gets his hand like mangled and to a stump in a um, garbage disposal or like another kid gets buried alive in the walls like he does some fucked up shit so to have a girl's head go through a bread slicer that is I, I think he really, like, regrets not coming up with the idea sooner. Or he's jealous that he didn't come up with that idea. I've, I loved it. I, I don't know what else to say, you know. And again, <laughs> I am not someone who is, like, looking for this stuff, you no. know. I thought they did. So I'm not a horror person. I was actually a little worried about watching this movie because I really don't like jump scares. I don't like being scared. I like to read trashy horror books, like trashy mystery books with murder. I don't like to watch it. And I was pleasantly surprised that there weren't, I didn't have any jump scares. I think at one point I screamed, which is, I scream a lot, (laughs) jump scares, but they did a good job by making this like sort of creepy and weird without making it too gory and too cheap scares. Yeah. Yeah. I I couldn't agree more with that. I think that's like a, most of the movies I watch for Rachel Slumber Party are all about the jump scare. Right. And that. I hate them wasn't a big deal here i think we'd be a little bit we'd be doing our listeners a little bit of a disservice if we didn't kind of mention like the main plot through line which is <laughs> um ah, i'm so bad with names you said her name before the one who's dina or kate or sam kate, kate right kate wait wait no kate is, dina wait. dina's our main girl dina's our main girl but who's who, what's her girlfriend's name sam Sam, Sam. Remember, because we're supposed to think Sam's a guy until oh, it turns snap. out Sam's a girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So Sam is being hunted down by these killers of the past, if you will. You've got to start earlier than that. Where are we starting? Because, well, because it was classic Fear Street. What's classic Fear Street? Okay. Okay. So there's a murder at a mall by a dorky guy who turns on his best friend and then cut to the next day. It's just another day in Fear Street. We see our heroine, Dina, struggling over a breakup. Turns out it's Sam who moved to the rival school. They run into each other a memorial for the dead teens at the mall. And then Sam's boyfriend, Twist, picks a fight with other shady side 
people and they get into a fight. So then you cut to a bus. Now this is this is where it comes to classic Fear Street. Okay. Okay. It's a bus accident because that happens in the first evil. So they're they're throwing shit at the bus that the Shady Side High kids are on. Shady Side decides to fight back. She gets a nosebleed, which by the way that never gets explained. So I think that's going to be telling in the next couple of movies that that nosebleed means something i think we're going to find out that she is part fear my prediction is that dina is going to be a fear and my prediction that kate is probably going to be a good oh interesting that's just my prediction so she gets a nosebleed dina gets a nosebleed and she accidentally drops a massive cooler of water onto the car of sunnyvale sunnyvale kids chasing them causes them to crash and this is where this is why it's important that we talk about this Kate gets out of the car, leads on what turns out to be Sarah Fear, a witch's grave, which is what happened in the first evil in the first book in the cheerleader saga. And it kicks off all of these events of Sarah, the witch, sending her murderous lackeys throughout time to go kill people in Shadyside. You said it better than I could, but yeah, I mean, and I don't know. I, I thought that was pretty, pretty cool. I was a little confused and like, Oh, we thought they could just kill Sam, but it turns out that that wasn't the case. Or like, if you put, oh, other people had blood on them. That's why. Uh, I'm not saying this in a complaining way. Yeah, I don't know. I'm telling you, it's going to relate back to the fears versus the goods. And that's why this movie has, yes, some open-ended questions. But in one of the rarest things, literally in film history, that we get our questions answered in the next two weeks. So I'm willing to like leave it open for our judgment. We're not like twilighting like, why the hell would Alice not predict this? You know what I mean? Uh, we're not doing any of that here because it's probably going to be explained um, in, the, in the other movies. And, and I'm very curious to find out. I knew that the ending ending was going to be something like this, right? Like it wasn't just going to be la-di-da, even though my friends died, everything's great. Even though there's 15 minutes left of the movie, right? <laughs> Classic horror thing. But again, we know it's coming. And it's classic Fear Street, too, gotcha. where they have a psych out. Gotcha. So what exactly happened here? So she's the witch now, or? Well, I think what it is, is that, and we don't have answers yet, so this, these are just our theories here. I think it all ties back to their blood itself. So I think that she's able to control people. We're supposed to think in this movie because she bled on Sarah Fear's grave that Sarah Fear can now control her. But I think it's going to tie back more to like blood magic in the sense that like there is a direct lineage there that she's able to control. So that's why Jillian Jacobs calls him up. She's like, she never leaves you alone. She's done with you and she wants to be done with you. So that we broke the tie that her ghostly minions could kill her with, but that didn't break her tie. And she's somewhere probably underground, casting her witchy spells. Interesting, interesting. Very hocus-pocus, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Is that what your prediction for the next one is? You already mentioned that it is based on a book called Lights Out, or it could be, it could be. Oh, it's definitely not based on Lights Out. This is basically that there, I think we're going to get some more lore. I think we're going to, it's going to be Jillian Jacobs telling, retelling the story. And I think it's really just to murder some horny teens at camp, truly. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Normally, you know, we have a lot more preparation, but we have a week <laughs> to, to get ready for this. But but I'm really excited. Again, this this is this was a good entry. I hope it doesn't disappoint me. I hope it doesn't like Game of Thrones me in the end and like it was just all for not or you know, you see some trilogies, right? Like where the first two get you, that third one is like, 
oh, we're the mummy, but we're going to China this time, or which I'm not criticizing, but you know what I mean? Like they make it so different that it feels like it's not part of the universe of it. I wonder if the third one in the 1600s, I'm very curious about that one. That's all, that's all I'll say. It's so classic Fear Street, though, to go back to that time. It's just like, here's what, okay, here's what every true Fear Street kid will tell you, is it's really not about the story. It's about the kills. It's about the body count. It's about the horror. It's not about the framing device that gets you there. Although sometimes the framing devices are amazing, like a haunted (laughs) time-traveling car. So just to uh, clarify, July 2nd, the day we're recording here, is Fear Street Part 1, 1994. Fear Street Part 2 which looks like the camp one, as you said, will, is 1978. And Fear Street Part 3, which is July 16th, is 1666. So 1978, July 9th, 1666 is July 16th. And did you notice in the movie that when they're talking about the camp, they said that it took place on July 9th? No, I didn't notice. That's cool. Yeah, they definitely like, did that on purpose. It was just like, and it was written on like a Polaroid so I guess, you know, Netflix could change it to whatever. Or, or. They were always supposed to come out in the summer. I remember that because I remember thinking it was supposed to come out last July. But I don't know. It wasn't necessarily the 9th, though. So they might have just changed the oh, maybe. the number or something. I don't know. But they freaking did it. Or it's a coincidence. Either way, awesome on them. Because they, they were like, oh, on July 9th, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, wait a minute. That's when the next one comes out. Mind blown. <laughs> I might watch 1994 again before 1978 just to see what I missed so we could recap it next week. But anything else, Kate, you want to mention about the Fear Street universe we've just entered here? Yes. So there's a couple of things. One, I'm always get, I always get hung up on numbers because I guess I'm kind of Rain Man. And I was trying to figure out if there was a pattern to the kills in the 20th century because it went 94, 78, I think it was 65, and it was like 19... 19- 22 and 1902 so it looks like it happens between 16 and 18 years so i think we should pay attention to that because there's going to be some weird that should rear its head again interesting and we didn't talk about the mysterious janitor who slips oh yeah josh at the end i i paused and i went up to my tv to read the card so we see we see this guy a couple times and i'm like oh you know he's just a janitor in the background whatever i don't know then he's at the police station because, you know, of course, they, they think he might be the murderer or whatever. And yeah. slips a card to Josh. And he's definitely going to be a factor here, this guy. So I think that he's going to be the key to what's going to happen in the next movie. Because it's, I feel, uh, I feel so old. It's only a 16-year difference between 78 and 94. And that makes me feel really old. But I guess that tracks. <laughs> Don't love it. Don't love it. And I think his card basically says, I think it said something like custodial something. It said like partner, friend, entrepreneur. He looks about like he would have been a teenager 16 years ago. So that guy looks like he's about in his mid thirties, let's say. So I think they call him in the next movie or in the very least the last movie to do something. Interesting. I mean, I'm curious about it. And they're setting up. Dina, sorry, I keep interrupting you because I'm so excited. If they're setting up Dina to be a fear, I think he's going to be a fear too. One, don't worry about interrupting me because you know what you're talking about here. <laughs> so, but this is exciting. It really, really is exciting. I, I, again, we don't usually get this, like the chance to, I guess you get it in TV series, but not in movies. Like the chance to like build, like our questions are going to be answered in the next two weeks. And yep. again, I think that's so awesome. 
speaking of questions though, let's let's get into our weekly questions. Or we'll, we're going to try our best here. Okay. First, I think we've answered it the entire time, but may, maybe it'll be a little different. Who is this movie made for? It's I think it's made for two different audiences that somehow come together. It's it's made for the same people that are really connecting with Olivia Rodrigo's um, album right now. Yeah. Gen Z and millennial women like me. You're you're absolutely right. See, we can get along. We can all get along. <laughs> <laughs> we just gotta find common threads like Olivia Rodrigo and Fear Street Part One, nineteen ninety four. second question. Most likely to succeed. Which character won the movie? I mean, if we're basing this based on Fear Street, it's Kate because she got the best kill. Oh, I mean, that's a, that's a good way to put it. You're absolutely 100% right about this, though. This is, that's like my biggest takeaway from the movie, how good that kill was. And I can't believe I'm saying that. I know. I, I really don't like gore either. And that's probably not one I'm going to rewatch. But it was just so inventive how they did it. And you didn't think they were going to do it up until they did it. And then they're like, yep, we did that. So we better get rid of him real quick, too. So they didn't even draw out his kill. He just gets next to the head. It was really, I don't think a man could have done it that way. I genuinely think it had to be a woman to come up with that so well. Wooderson Award. Is there a character here who you would have liked to have seen more of? I mean, I really like Jillian Jacobs, so her. It's hard to say because it would be her or maybe even the janitor, right? But, like, we know we're going to get more of them, or at least we think in later movies. So TBD, I would call this one, right? Like, if we never see her again, I'm going to be like, what the fuck movie? (laughs) Yeah. And I feel like you want the janitor to be mysterious because it's like, why does a janitor have a card? Yeah, exactly. Like Those aren't easy to, like, go on, like, online. Oh, you know what we didn't talk about yet? What? We didn't talk about who Josh is chatting with. I think he's actually chatting with Sarah Fear. Interesting. Interesting. Josh is this dork Mm -hmm. who, by the way, he came up with a hack to like a a vending machine that has like a certain code and you can get everything out of it. I actually Googled that to see if that's real. And it might actually be real. What? That's insane. Yeah, yeah. He's the the younger brother of, uh, give me her name again. Dina. Dina. He's Dina's younger brother. And we get these chat through lines... I should have paid more attention to exactly what he was saying because now that you're like, oh, that might be something fancy. <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, shit, I should have paid attention. But yeah, at the beginning, he's in like a... Th- he's today's in a nerd a- cave. Today's equivalent of like a true crime chat in his nerd cave, in his computer room, oh, co- if you will. Brian, it's AOL chat. It was specific to 1994. Come on, man. I'm trying to bring it to maybe our younger audience. This is what we used, and this is what we talked to creepers with. Oh, my God. I don't, sometimes I think about who I was talking to on AOL or, or not even knowing, and I'm like, oh, my God. But, regardless. but that's the thing. That's the thing. She tapped into that, right? So he Good thinks point. he knows this chick. I guarantee you it's going to be like Sarah Fear. And I also loved how, like, his sister's, like, dad's going to flip out at you. He's like, I'm stealing the neighbor's AOL. Because it, it was – chatting back in 1994 was for – fucking dorks <laughs> like there's the only way to describe it it was expensive it tied up your phone line and like back that like we didn't even get the internet in my house until february 95 so the fact actually let's talk about that for a second because like if they're that poor they don't have the internet they don't have it set up because people having the internet in 1994 was not really a thing i think that's fair enough i, I think you might be right about that my explanation for it is the, the dude is just such a good hacker that he's freaking pretty much stealing every aspect of it. It's, I mean, they mention, right? Like they know what you're saying. They mention, like, oh, you know, you're stealing it. 
I just think he's probably just next level where you're right in a sense that like this is not 1998-1999 when the internet is in much more homes and it's still dial-up but it's you know everyone's got it 94 it was very very rare a lot of people wouldn't even know what he was doing but it's not unheard of so I'm, I'm just assuming he stole it just would have been more appropriate not for the movie for the plot but for life if he was doing this at like a school library true true i recall internet really only being a school thing and like the reason why i bring up that we got internet like february 95 is my dad was always like one of those early adopters of technology like we got a dvd player in like 98 so the fact that we didn't get it until then it's weird that someone in shady side could get it in 94 yeah, I mean, it's fair enough, fair enough criticism. I think that's one of those things that you just sit back and think about once you're really, really reliving that time, but a Gen Zer would not, they'd be like, why aren't you chatting on your phone? No, yeah, I, I think, it, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's hard to explain, right? Like, there's these anachronisms that I don't want that to be taken away from the movie either, you know? So if you, if you have to lie a little, then lie. Yeah, like some, of, and I will say that some of the songs are, in my mind, we're more 95 than 94. Like, okay, I just had to Google it, but More Human Than Human is a 95 song. It was released in 95, and I knew that, and I was like, that's a 1995 song, not a 94 song. Yeah, as long as, to me, if it has, like, it wasn't playing on the radio, was it? Like, then I'd be like, huh. Like, I I remember covering this movie once, not on this podcast, and it was, like, about DJs in, like, the late 60s, early 70s, and they were really playing records from, like, five or six years after it took place. And to me, that pissed me off because they're playing the records. If it's playing in the background, just give me the mood of the time, you know? I'm cool with that. They got the mid-90s because I think Garbage came out in 95 as well. Mid-90s, we're cool with it. (laughs) I'm not going (laughs) to knock that against the film. Um, We were doing our awards, I forgot. Sorry, I got really distracted by the internet. Because now, because I literally just finished this movie like an hour and a half ago when we just started recording. (laughs) This is our fresh take, as fresh as you can get, guys. <laughs> Long Duck Dong Award. Is there a character whose omission would make this film better? Uh, I don't think there was a racially insensitive character, but was there anyone else you would just delete from the film? No, because they died. Like, Kevin was a dick, but he's dead. Yeah, yeah, they didn't portray him. He wasn't like, oh, the hot guy. Oh, who she gets in the end? Like, 16 Candles, you know? Right? <laughs> like, I like this movie because it had a good Fear Street body count for Fear Street. I didn't like this movie because it didn't fucking it it didn't focus on the aspects I always really loved about Fear Street, which was horny, murderous teens killing each other. Like I like I like the slasher aspect of like Fear Street, the who done it, who's a murderer. I never connected as much to the supernatural elements of Fear Street, but they were certainly there. Before we get to grading though, modern movies, it's hard with this question, the Cameron Fry Award, but did anyone look too old to be a high schooler, just out of place? I wish I hadn't Googled her, but Dina's like 28. Yeah, Dina's pretty old, but I don't think she looked bad, to be honest with you. No, no, she didn't look bad, but she, now that I knew she was 20, I'm like, oh, you're 28, man. Ruined it. (laughs) Like, you're like, we're six years apart. Well, I know it's kind of an incomplete score today because we don't know the entire series, but we're going to try our best here um, to grade this. So I'm handing you that report card, Kate, giving you that red pen. Really curious what you're going to say here. Now, I should say we usually look at Rotten Tomatoes and, and Letterboxd, but it just came out. So every time I refresh, even right now, that score is going to change, right? Because new critics are seeing it, new um, 
audience members are seeing it. Right now it's 83% by the critics, 95% by the audience. But again, we're early in the game here. By the yeah. time we talk again, that's going to change. Maybe we'll revisit that. On Letterboxd, it's 3.5 out of 5, which is a good score. But Kate, you're a different kind of cat, right? You're someone who who is a Fear Street expert, not necessarily someone who's just walking into this cold turkey, <laughs> a right? A historian. A historian, sorry. <laughs> historian, Fear Street historian. A plus to F, what will you grade the first of this series here, Fear Street Part 1, 1994? I'm actually going to give you a real grade this time because usually I just give like, I give it a purple monkey baby dishwasher. <laughs> because it's a fear street movie it gets a b minus i probably if it hadn't been a fear street movie and just a movie set in the mid 90s i probably would have given it a b plus well that's where i was too and again i since i didn't read fear street i put it at b plus so i I think we're in league with that makes sense to me and honestly to get for this to get a b minus from the foremost historian in the nation (laughs) for fear street i think they're happy with that score you know and i think i think the director and the producers are like all right kate we're going to get you with number two. Just wait. I don't know because this really hit my 90s kid heart. So I wasn't alive in 78. So let's see. True, true. It'll be less 90s, but maybe more Fear Streety. Who knows? Do you know what I do wish they had done is that they would have cast more adults that were 90s icons. Like, wouldn't it have been great if the sheriff was played by like Joshua Jackson Oh, I do love that. I do. And and I know they want to go with mostly unknowns here, but that would have been awesome. Yeah. That would give me that fan service. (laughs) Right. Like that's, that's the thing. There's like, there wasn't as much fan service as I was expecting because we talk about who was this movie made for, but I don't think it was necessarily made for us as much as Gen Z. And it's just that they're taking, I think what happened is the director took something she loved and wanted to make it fresh. Interesting enough. So maybe 75% Gen Z, 25% millennials. Yeah, I just would have liked a couple of like, oh, you know what I mean? Like cameos <laughs> or like, oh, I, I remember you. It's good to see ya. Like I, it would have been nice to see that in some of the adults. We know we're definitely not getting that. So unfortunately, that's not going to be solved. Unless, again, there's some huge surprise, but we're already out of the 90s. So. Oh, no, they're definitely going to kill off Jillian Jacobs 1,000% in the next movie. Oh, I think so. I think so. Oh, yeah. Adults don't live. Well, the thing is, so what's interesting here is that they did kill off adults in the movies. In the books, adults just aren't there. And they don't get killed off because they're just not around. And if they are around, they're playing board games in their den. And they're like, have fun, honey. Like, it's, they're just absent. Sleeping bag. What does your Fear Street Part 1 1994 sleeping bag look like, Kate? I think this could be a fun one. I didn't think about this question at all because the obvious choice. Okay. It's going to be a, a sleeping bag with the covers of all the classic Fear Streets on it. And the the sort of the the top part will have to be an axe or something, right? Because you have to pay homage to all the murders. I like that, but I'm gonna I'm gonna make your life a little bit harder right now. Okay. I'm gonna say you have to pick one Fear Street <gasps> cover to be your sleeping bag. You're going to the Fear Street Nerds convention and having a slumber party. So everyone's gonna have a different book cover and you have to pick <laughs> You have to pick one. What does yours look like? Oh, my God. You get first pick of all the Fear Street experts. Oh, my God. But there's so many classic books. That's really... Okay, I 
I gotta go with the Catalina Chronicles, the first <laughs> one, because it's this fucking woman sitting in the woods that's supposed to be 1600s on a goddamn car. <laughs> I love that though. It's like it's it's bananas. It is. I cannot stress to you how crazy it is that he somehow managed to come up with a book like a trilogy about a goddamn witch from the 1600s haunting a fucking time traveling car that is (laughs) insane and the first the first book is called the evil moon Ooh, (laughs) it's insane and it's like this girl who we find out is the witch on top of a on top of a car it's insanity but you know it's probably the most classic fear street covers are either the cheerleader saga or 99 fear street with the dead sister on book two well i don't know these covers so i just google imaged and originally you know when you suggested that bad moonlight one i'm like oh my god this cover is amazing so maybe it's that one but it is fourth of july weekend and i'm gonna go to the beach so do i want to do the dead lifeguard look at sunburn sunburn's good too Ooh, sunburn do i want to do high tide i just looked that one up (laughs) there's a lot so many. My favorite thing ever was there when I used to go right at Pajiba, there was um, a commenter and every time I talked about Fear Street, she'd be in the comments. She'd be like, I used to draw the Fear Street covers. And did she? Yeah. And she's like, my leather jacket was in this book. Like that was my favorite jacket. And we drew it into the cover. I'm like, That's I awesome. know exactly what book you're talking about. I, Brian, I think you should do Bad Dreams. The, the, the girls in their pajamas being haunted oh yeah that's very high school slumber party bad dreams let me see or look at the first evil with the skull on it oh you know what i was wrong the skull is very featured prominently on the first evil the cheerleader book that they show a lot in the first interesting season. no i like this bad dreams one. i was looking at this one called the knife <gasps> the knife is so good <laughs> oh my god so the worst fear street of all time is double day because it's just fucking stupid and there's no body count it's just like twins doing the runaround on like a himbo who i don't even think is gary brandt <laughs> what a cover yeah it looks lame it's so dumb. I'm like, that's all there is? Like, come on. Prom Queen is good, too. You might like Prom Queen, where she's, like, in her big, poofy dress, and then it, she's looking in a mirror, and in the mirror is a skull in her oh, dress looking that's, back at her. Oh, that's the winner right here. Very High School Slumber Party, but an awesome cover. I like that cover. Yeah, I just have to – I listen, Cataluna Chronicles is not, like, a classic Fear Street, but it's just so fucking weird that anybody who read it, they're like, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I fuck with the uh, time, which is the time traveling car. Let's do it. <laughs> love, love it. It's so dumb. This is my favorite question every week, though. Putting you on the spot because you can't pick any Twilight movies. You can't pick uh, Con Air. You can't pick any other Fear Street movies. So try, try to think. Try, try to put your mind to this one. But you and I are at the magical blockbuster, 1994 or whenever. <laughs> <laughs> we know we are renting the the rare physical copy of Fear Street Part 1, 1994. But we see a sign that says, rent two movies, get one free. And I say, Kate, no. go to the back. T- get two other movies for us to watch on this slumber party. What are the two other movies we're watching? So the obvious choice would be Scream, and I know what you did last summer. But I feel like that's just too obvious. Right? But I have to, like, call that out. Fair, so that fair. Nobody. Okay, so if we're doing this... Oh, okay. We're going to get a movie that terrified me as a child to pay homage to Fear Street. So we're going to get the Dark Crystal. 
The Dark Crystal, interesting. Yeah, because that was a movie I made my dad turn off when wow. I was a child, and I ran out of the room. It was so terrifying the first 10 minutes. And then we're going to get... Oh, if it's 1994, everyone's boyfriend, and this is timely because Chris Evans clearly got high on Twitter yesterday. I was talking about him too. We're going to get a Christian Slater movie. We're going to get Pump Up the Volume. Love Pump Up the Volume. Yeah. Yeah. Because Heather's just checked out because it's the best. Awesome. Awesome. I like that. (laughs) Good picks there. Well, Kate, thank you for taking the time here. This was an absolute blast. I can't wait to talk about the next one. You out there, if you're slumbers out there, if you're high school slumber party fans, you another indicator that Kate loves this Fear Street series so much is that it takes us like two months to get a Twilight recording in. No, we're, we're doing three freaking Fear Street movies in a row. So that'll oh. tell you something. I worked until like 11 o'clock last night to keep my morning clear so I could do this because I love Fear Street. I well, love it. Well, I really, really appreciate it, Kate. <laughs> this was awesome. We'll find out a time to record next week after it comes out. I'll get to editing this weekend. And uh, yeah, uh, anything else you want to say in regards to Fear Street or anything you want to plug or promote or whatever? No, I mean, I'm, I don't, I hate Twitter. It's accessible. So, you know, find me if you want to, but just what you really guys should do, if you're really excited, go buy some Fear Streets, go to your Goodwill, go on eBay, just just relive the magic because they surprisingly hold up and if we can do that maybe we can get christopher pike to stop hating the one adaptation he signed off on and maybe we'll finally get a netflix version of remember me wait no isn't remember me and something else is that no a- that's a terrible art pets yeah is that an R- I'm like is that a robert pattinson movie i think we've talked about it before no okay so are there any christopher pike uh, movies you said there's one there was, there was one. It was, he did Fall Into Darkness. And I think it was Jonathan Brandeis and Tatiana Ali when they were the power couple in like 1996. <laughs> and he hated what they did to his book. And he swore that he would never allow his books to be licensed for movies or TV again. Well, change your mind, Christopher Pike, because I'd like to, uh, I'd, I'd like to talk about that one day, right? Oh there's, there, there's team Christopher Pike. I don't know. I, I just know the covers. I've read, well, obviously I own almost all of them. I reread those too as well because his are longer and they're always oddly, oddly like religious, whereas Stein (laughs) is shorter and agnostic. So Stein is like, Stein is just like a good, quick, like, let's kill some horny teens. Like, let's have some morality in here. Pike is like, oh, you got an abortion? Okay, I'm going to end the world because of it. Or like, oh, you just like this horse story? Guess what? It was actually, like, written by a bunch of cancer kids dying in the future. Like, there you go. He has the weirdest fucking, like, (laughs) R.L. Stein will just be like, yeah, let's let's kill some teens. Like, I just said that. But Pike (laughs) creates these elaborate fucking fakeouts that are so sci-fi. So if Stein goes supernatural horror, Pike does more like sci-fi oddly religious shit it's amazing like one of the books is actually just a precursor to oh you tried to kill yourself there you go this has been purgatory the entire time try to make it work but the road to nowhere is basically this girl goes in for an abortion and then the world ends it's awesome oh my god <laughs> and super fucking religious and he's always like this is like you don't even have to record this like put this in but there's also one witch where it's all about like how like a beautifully talented woman sacrifices herself for some weird horny shitty guy it's it's just it is (laughs) gen z would revolt if they read some of these books like it explains so much why millennials are the way they are that this was our entertainment well 
now I'm going to have to leave this in. Because <laughs> you, you tied up an earlier point. It's, it was nice. Oh, and you Twilight Forever fans out there, uh, the news is out by now. Thank you for voting them the best club or favorite <gasps> show. Oh, by a lot. Well, I'm we and all them, but yeah, yes, we'll say you won. That's uh, awesome. I mean, I feel like I was the only one tweeting out that people needed to vote or I was going to hit myself like Marky Mark and fear. Yes. No one else said those words. So you are correct about that. Hey, and it worked. So yes. And we will return Twilight Forever. Kate, you actually had a good idea as Twilight is also coming to Netflix. We're going to try to squeeze in a little Netflix Twilight primer. I know you said your Apple TV doesn't have these things on our, our last episode, but uh, since I don't have an Apple TV, Netflix has these little um, like wallpaper screensaver things that come up and they just July 1st, they dropped the Twilight one. So now <gasps> oh in the regular God. rotation, they have all the movies like as, you know, coming out this day, you know, I think it's the middle of July sometime. So we're going to be, uh, we're going to have to have that hot girl summer a little bit together because we got to do the fear street and we got to talk twilight. So we'll, we'll find time. This is the summer of Kate. I this is the summer of all my interests. I got it. Well, I guess it's just the summer of twilight and fear street, which feels like all my interests. <laughs> well, maybe this is, maybe this is when Christopher Pike announces that he's the embargo is lifted. Who knows? Oh, well, you know that I just read that R.L. Stein, um, R.L. Stein did an interview and he's like, yeah, I talked to Christopher Pike. He's cool. Like, maybe he's going to see. Maybe. maybe really? Ne- yeah. Well, be- how many like teen horror people were there in the mid 90s? There is Christopher Pike. There is R.L. Stein. There is Diane Ho. There's Peter Larangis. There was Richie Tanner- Tannersky Cusack. There was uh, Lois Duncan, who wasn't super horry. And then who's the Vampire Diaries person? It was her. Is that, who was Vampire Diaries? I, I don't know, but I know that they exist. <laughs> yeah, like there wasn't a lot. So, so awesome. R.L. Stein convinced your buddy and we can keep talking about this kind of stuff. <laughs> I love it. I, I, it's going to, just a second. We, we have to get, somebody's screaming her name right now. And I oh. just have to, L.J. Smith, L.J. Smith. There you guys, there you go, there you go. Well, on that note, once again, Kate, thank you so much. Uh, At Hudson Kate on Twitter. Yes. You're a great, you're a great follow. And am I? Well, not even prompted. I would say at least a third of what you say is high school slumber party adjacent. (laughs) I know. It's my, this is why we're friends. (laughs) This podcast is a one-to-one with my interests. (laughs) Well, I'm happy also that I was able to provide you a forum to talk Fear Street. So until next week, Kate. Yes. (laughs) Amazing. The one thing I appreciate more than anything on this earth is passion. And you can tell that Kate Hudson is a passionate person about Fear Street and almost everything she does. That's why I love her. Thank you so much, Kate, for being on our Fear Street Part 1 episode, and of course, she'll be on Fear Street Part 2 next Monday. But we have an episode on Friday, twice a week. I know I'm super tired, and that's the opposite that you're supposed to feel on vacation, but whatever. I'm enjoying my first moments here on San Emilio Island, USA, celebrating the summer with you. And on Friday, the Black Teen Experience returns. We're continuing the celebration. It's been a while, but Kirkland Shepard's back, and guess what? We're bringing Cousin Pumpkin along for the ride, and we're talking a Spike Lee joint. 
So your unofficial homework, but if you want to be smart about it and get ahead of the game, watch the film He Got Game. We out the projects, baby. Where we gonna live at, son? Central Park West somewhere? What you gonna buy your mom, son? How more? A big house. It's the will of the man. It ain't the skill of the man. Don't be afraid of nobody. Take it. Take Go it. strong, baby. Like nobody's better yes. than you. You have a son named Jesus Shuttlesworth? Is your son considered the number one high school prospect in these United States? He's awesome, baby, with a capital A. Governor's made a request that your son seriously consider enrolling in his alma mater, big state. The governor's given me his word. He'll do everything in his power to cut your time here short. The NC2A deadline is one week away. Two parole officers will be assigned to you. Yeah, I guess I better get working there, huh? Young little son. What did I tell you about that stranger in the house? He's not a stranger. He's our father. I don't have a father. Look, I need to talk to you. You'll see me around. The man escaped just like Shawshank. Why beat around the bush? We love you. It's $10,000. I don't need that money, Coach. You can look like Buddy Hackett and drive down the street with this and have 40 girls chasing you. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I want you to go to Big State, son. You find it in your heart to go to Big State, they may let me out on an early parole. I got that, uh... Arthritis thing. My brother's got the same arthritic condition. It's going around here in Coney Island. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's contagious. But why the hell did you name me Jesus anyway? What type of name is that? Jesus, Jesus. Biblical name. No kidding. I pray that you understand why I pushed you. I was the one who put the ball in your crib. I ain't no baby no more. Dear Lord, deliver Jesus to us. People make mistakes. People veer off the path. So what? God forgives them. When will you? Never. Cool. I bet he can finally beat you. One-on-one. And this will be the most important decision in your life. Don't blow it. Ooh, that's an awesome trailer. Jesus Shuttlesworth. And I'm so excited once again to be bringing the Black Teen Experience back, for Kirkland Shepard to be back, and for Cousin Pumpkin to be tagging along so we can talk about this awesome Spike Lee film. But it's time for me to hit the hay, catch up on some of those Zs. It was a long weekend, both party-wise and emotionally for me. Thank you for bearing with me. Once again, thank you, Kate Hudson, for hopping on this episode. And even though... Time moves a little slower here in San Emilio Island. Life moves a little fast. And if you don't stop to look around once in a while, you could miss it. And let's leave you with another song from the soundtrack to this film. And as I look it up, because there's so many great songs on this soundtrack for the first part of Fear Street, I want to thank you all once again I mentioned in the episode, but thank you, thank you, thank you for voting for our junior year superlatives. That was so clutch of you guys. It was so, so awesome. Check out our yearbook special. I can't believe I forgot to mention that. Joe Lewandowski was our guest. It was super great of him to be on for that. It's a fun episode. You'll get a little taste of what high school summer parties like if this just happens to be your first episode today. That was the last episode we did of our junior year. Check that out. The superlative winners. I'll start posting them this week now that I have a little bit more free time just so everyone really knows who won the things. But listen, please. 
That's the best thing you can do for me, aside from telling people how great High School Slumber Party is. Listen, listen, listen. I really, really appreciate the listens. This is a labor of love, and I thank you for being the audience for that labor. Okay, I think I picked a song. We mentioned it on the pod today, and it was one that I really hadn't heard in a while, so I want to play it again. Cowboy Junkies, Sweet Jane. Later, dudes. It's over. Go home. Go.